Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today at our LifeWays podcast. This is Christina Benter. I'm a licensed addictions counselor here at LifeWays. Today, we're going to continue on kind of with our series of interviewing some of our staff here at LifeWays. We have a really awesome group of people that really are passionate about what they do here. So today, we're going to interview uh, Emily Jackson. She's are one of our counselors with our intensive outpatient program. It's one of our newer programs here. We're a prevention agency, but a lot of people don't know as we have sort of branched off into treatment and doing intensive outpatient treatment. And um, Rebecca Stuckey and Emily Jackson are our two stars when it comes to our intensive outpatient. And Emily being one of our newer family members, just has done an amazing job jumping in with us. So today we're going to be talking to her, you know, why she came into the field. She's going to share a little bit about her own experience uh, with addiction and her own life and, you know, what what brings her coming to work every day, like what brings her back to work every day. Uh, She has a great story and really a great personality to share with you today. She's a wealth of information. We've really enjoyed having her as a part of this group. So I hope you enjoy her time. And uh, thank you for joining us here at this podcast today. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on our LifeWaste podcast. Today we are talking to Emily Jackson, a LifeWaste counselor here at our main office. She works with our intensive outpatient program. Um, She is kind of our newer staff with us here. So I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself. Yeah. Tell us about what brought her here working with LifeWays. Say hello. Yeah. Hi. Thanks, Christina. (laughs) Um, So like Christina said, my name's Emily Jackson and I am pretty new to LifeWays. I started in July of 2019. um, So almost one full year right now. Yeah. And really kind of what brought me was just like a little bit of a change of pace. I've worked primarily with adults in the field of addiction so far. And so working with some youth and doing kind of a little bit of prevention, but also some treatment stuff, um, just kind of a good way to switch it up and, and see a different side of things. So still sort of fresh into the field. So kind of trying to still find my niche. Yeah. So you jumped right in and uh, you work with Rebecca Stuckey, our other IOP counselor, and you two work together sort of on our intensive outpatient. Can you tell us about your role with the intensive outpatient and what you do there? Yeah. So I work with Rebecca. We mesh pretty well. We've got a good little <laughs> a good little jive going. And we do groups, group counseling with the clients and individual counseling. And during the school year, we go into the school and, and meet with our clients there. Um, and then meet outside of the school to do groups and those kinds of things. So several hours a week, usually six right now with the coronavirus, it's been a little less than that, trying to meet over Zoom. But um, usually we meet with the kids after school and definitely talk about addiction and, you know, drug and alcohol prevention and awareness and education, but also try to find out kind of what needs they have in their everyday life and how to incorporate kind of that freedom from substances into just their life and development and growth as people. They are kind of mini adults mostly. Um, So they're like on the cusp of like 
some of them think that they are adults and some of them are very close to being legal adults. So we also kind of try to teach them a little bit about the world and, you know, gain their their input on who they want to be and who they're becoming. And so it's not all drug prevention, but but mostly and then also just kind of human development and togetherness and yeah, just working with them to build each other up and we learn from them and they learn from us and yeah, yeah. it's a good time. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different kind of approach jumping from adult to youth. I've done that yeah. a couple times in my career and it can definitely be different. Yeah, it, it de a lot of <laughs> some different problems, you know, uh, come to the surface and, you know, chores and homework and my, you know, my brother ate my ice cream sandwich from the freezer and I'm so angry. So it's, you know, yeah. some issues that we don't normally see in adult services, but some of them are fun issues to yeah. navigate through. Not that there aren't adults out there that get upset when you eat their ice cream sandwich, but <laughs> yes. it's, it's just, their teenagers are more passionate about it, I think. I yeah, that I'm is a sure. universal problem. <laughs> it is, it is. It's just the response that makes it different. Yeah. So um, you did, you made the jump from adults into adolescence and you joined us here at the LifeWays family. And can you tell us what is, what is a big difference for you that you see from working in other agencies to coming into LifeWays and a little bit more autonomy maybe with the, the treatment program and it's sort of the two of you kind of working together uh, with the curriculum and things like that. What is, do you feel like is the big difference for you for this agency as versus other agencies? Well, the biggest difference definitely with working with kids is like I said, like the, the problems that they face, unfortunately, some of the problems that they face are the same as some of the adults that I've worked with in the past, you know, issues um, at home, maybe homelessness or um, lack of basic needs or real major life issues, legal issues, those kinds of things. The difference has definitely been that I feel like it's kind of more of a supportive environment, helping to navigate through some of those issues rather than just fixing the problem. So really trying to help the teenagers. I mean, they're mostly, I guess they're kind of all teenagers that I've worked with so far, you know, helping them to kind of come up with solutions on their own, what they would like the solution to look like and how they can kind of navigate either towards that or, you know, have that be successful. And sometimes that requires our help. Sometimes it just requires us to listen and to kind of, you know, maybe assist in that direction or hold them accountable. And that's definitely been very different. Me and Rebecca, I wouldn't say that we're good cop, bad cop by any means, but we, but we definitely kind of feed off of each other when we pick up on different, you know, different things that the kids might say or their body language. And we each kind of bring something a little bit different to the table. It's, we were just saying in, in group that Rebecca's kind of like a cat who likes to push you know, push things off the table and, <laughs> and to just see how far you'll kind of let it get close to the edge before you stop the cat. And so, and I'm kind of more of like to sit back and watch and see how it all plays out. So we've got a good kind of little dynamic with nice. it, but yeah, she's definitely a lot more creative <laughs> than I am. So arts and crafts and, and different things like that and trying to kind of help the kids interpret how they're feeling or what they're thinking. And I'm kind of more analytical, like pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. And I like the science behind things. When we talk about those kinds of things in group two, it's always really fun for me to see like who latches on 
to kind of the different the different dynamic or the different angle that we bring to the table Mm because everybody kind of feels it out a little bit different so yeah we kind of cover a little bit of everything that's awesome. So what what has been the toughest thing for you, jumping from adult to adolescent? What is the biggest obstacle you find you have with this adolescent population? Oh, gosh. Definitely the hardest part is um, watching some kids go home after group for different reasons. I mean, sometimes it's because you know that they're not really going home. They might be going to a house or to, you know, a shelter, but you kind of know that it isn't a home environment. It's not very welcoming to them. Sometimes it's a place where they don't want to go. And so that's always really difficult because it's just so kind of out of your control and out of their control. And so that can be really challenging. And so yeah, I mean we want to we want to protect them so much, but we also know that they have to kind of go out on their own and and navigate the the world and that can be scary. So that's definitely really challenging. Also just seeing so much potential in a kid. They walk into a room and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this kid is so cool and I think they're so interesting." And then they talk Um, And they talk about themselves so poorly and, you know, like they just don't know why anybody would want to have anything to do with them, you know, and I just feel so bad and down and out about themselves. And we're like, but you're so cool. Like, you're so great. Um, And that can definitely be challenging to kind of see more in them than they see in themselves. And, you know, we try to do our best to help them get to a good place with themselves where they can see it yeah Yeah. it can be really difficult for them um we do some activities of you know how would you describe yourself and some of the words are you know so negative and so harsh and we're like oh no it like breaks your heart um and so but it can be also really helpful for us you know to know that that's how they're feeling or what they're thinking so that we can help kind of hopefully change that and help them grow into loving who they are or becoming a person who they feel better about, but it can be tough. Definitely. I I love it. And, uh, and one of the prevention education tools that we use in the schools are, are, um, prevention curriculum, uh, project success curriculum. We we ask them about um, the way they see themselves as the way the re- other people see them. And I, I'm always shocked at that too, um, mm-hmm. how poorly the adolescents of this day and age see themselves. And it is so difficult to watch. And I, I think it's important for the community to know, like I try to share that with other adults, like, you know, these kids are walking around feeling miserable <laughs> 90% of the time. They think they're worthless and they think you think that too Mm -hmm. so to have positive people in their lives say hey guess what not only are you like amazing I'm here to show you like 120 different ways like Mm -hmm. that you are an incredible person like it's such a powerful tool to have but yeah hard to hear them talk about themselves so ugly like that for sure when I just vividly remember one day we had a room full of girls I don't even know if we had gotten started yet really with discussing because we always start off with every group with introductions and kind of checking in how are things you know like what's going on and we like threw the curriculum out the window that day because it was so like, 
ugh, you know, I'm trash. And we're like, oh, we gotta, we cannot leave this room right. with this being. We cannot leave this room the same way that we entered it. So, and it was tough. I mean, we spent a, a couple hours really kind of talking about things and, and trying to figure out what can we do to feel better about ourselves. But man, some of the things that they said well, to describe I mean, themselves was harsh. Adults struggle with this stuff. And then you look at being an adolescent and then comparing yourself constantly with other adolescents and, and the standards are so high and the culture makes these wants and needs so powerful and strong. And you're not cool unless you wear this, you're not this unless you do that. And the supermodels on Instagram are filter this and yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We're like, this is not real. (laughs) Yes. Our, our beautiful kids don't know that they're beautiful. It's, it's, it's kind of horrible to watch sometimes. I get that. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much for giving our kids some some love and encouragement. I think it's so, so much needed. So much needed. So this is a, um, being a drug and alcohol counselor is a really, like it's a tough job. Dealing with a disease on a regular basis, like um, uh, facing people with this self-destructive disease for a living is a tough choice to make. What brought you into this field? What made you want to do this? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Every time somebody, I say what I do for a living and people always go, oh, that must be so difficult. <laughs> and and I kind of go, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. It's so hard. <laughs> like, I don't even really think about it. But now with coronavirus and like not being able to work as much as I normally would, I miss it so much. Like, I I feel so like incomplete without it. And it's, uh, it feels a little morbid to be like, I haven't sat in a room and listened to people's problems in so long. I can't wait to go back to that. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I just love it. I learned about Well, I learned about addiction basically at birth. My father is in recovery and he's been in recovery for most of my life, but it's always really been at the forefront of our family and discussion. And I mean, I know the inside of the Alano Club, like the back of my hand. I spent many a days coloring through AA meetings. And so I'm very, I was always very familiar with addiction and recovery as well. 12 step, you know, that's my family motto. I was in a high school psychology class. I was a junior when I took intro to psychology, sort of as like a, I guess I got to check something off the list. And I had this amazing teacher. Her name was Mrs. Anderson and she's not at Central anymore. Um, but wherever she is, they are lucky. She just flipped the whole world upside down for me. Every issue that I ever thought about or saw within like the walls of the school, she was like, oh no, there's a reason for that. And I was like, give me more. Like I need to know how everything works. So I took her again my senior year. And in our senior year, we really talked about the brain and the amygdala and addiction and recovery and just all of just really got into like the nitty gritty of human neurology. And it was just fascinating to me. And I'm like, how do I go to school for this? Yeah. So I am, and part of it probably has to do with somewhat of my dad, although I don't remember much of his use and the years of his, of his addiction, 
but it was still always, I knew that it was a part of our lives. So I think partly, partly that, but also being in Mrs. Anderson's class and just couldn't get enough. I wrote all my papers on addiction, you know, if we got to pick a topic. And then I found out that the University of South Dakota had a specific alcohol and drug counseling major. Sign me up. In state <laughs> tuition, great. And so I went to school in Vermilion and had great teachers there. I loved it. They kept me very passionate about it. One of my teachers nicknamed me Hermione Granger because um, I was always just like, give me all the books, like teach me all the things. I could weirdly see that about you. <laughs> um, and I just loved it. I, I, I mean, still, I... I say still, I haven't been doing it for that long, but it's just so fascinating to me. And it's a topic that seems so common, like that we should all be learning about it and all be talking about it, but it's so not common to talk about it. It's so kind of taboo to, you know, if I say I'm an addiction counselor, everybody goes, oh, you know, and I'm like, what? I'm not a hit man. Like, I, you know, like this is something that we should be discussing. That's great. You get the, um, uh, oh, that must be so hard. I always get the like, um, I only have two beers on the weekend. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't ask. In, <laughs> in college, it was the best pickup line ever because a guy, you know, oh, what are you, what's your major? Addiction counseling. And then they go, have a good night and walk yeah. away. And I'd be like, I'm weeding, I'm weeding through right. all. <laughs> you can repel them like nobody's business with that. Yeah. What do you, what do, you do for a living? Oh yeah. That's, that's yeah. man repellent. That's yeah. repellent. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was, um. A fun time, but then I've I've just really loved it. I love meeting the clients, and it's always just so interesting to everybody. So I, regardless of like how similar addiction seems to be or the substances seem to be, I've never met two people that were the same in any of my groups, any of my individual sessions. Everybody has such a unique story, and to me, that just Mm -hmm. Makes me want to do it more. Somebody new comes in and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to find out more about them. And that's amazing. And it's really cool to see real passion in this field, too. I think the people who can do this job and have the stability of a long career are, are the people who are very passionate about this work, about helping people with the issues and disease of addiction that can that can have that kind of smile. You guys can't yeah. see it, but it's amazing. <laughs> they can have that kind of smile when they talk about doing their job. So that's, yeah. that's, it's so cool. Well, and it's one of those jobs too, that I think you kind of have to like be a little like neurotic <laughs> about it in order to like <laughs> succeed or, you know, make yeah. it another day. Uh, Cause it's, it's not for the faint of hearts. Yeah. I think she just outed all of us. We're all a little kooky, um, but it, you're right. I think in this field to, to have the sustainability, yeah. either in prevention or, or in addiction treatment, you really do have to have the pa the passion for recovery, mm -hmm. uh, the passion for prevention. You 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 have to be willing to look at a lot of stuff that a lot of people are not willing to look at, yeah. and that that can be tough some days. Yeah. That can be tough some days. And hope is definitely, I think, kind of intertwined in that too. Like you have to really believe in what you're doing, and if you don't believe that you can actually make a difference, this is not going to work <laughs> out for you very well. Yeah. It's, um, it's not a feeling for cynics it is yeah. not <laughs> um, even i mean we can be a little cynical sometimes but you know 
um, that's on that's an off day. cynical. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. We're just trying to. It does give you a dark sense of humor, but yeah, um, we think we're funny. Yeah, and it keeps us going. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And working with the kiddos, you mentioned a little bit of creativity and things like that. What is, What is your favorite method in working with a group? Do you Do you like the education stuff? Do you like the creativity? Do you Do you like to get outside and and run laps and get them to be active. I mean, what's your favorite way to actively get to a client? Personally, I really love kind of getting to down to the nitty gritty, like figuring out how we got here. I don't know that that's always their favorite place to go. To me, it's sort of like one of those weird maze puzzles where you go through and like you might like turn left and hit a wall and then you kind of have to like readjust of like, okay, where do we go from here? But I really love getting them to a point where they can kind of see what is most important in their life. It comes in some different ways. I think really just kind of getting to know them. Sometimes that comes through art. We do have a period of time at the beginning of groups, usually when we meet in person, where we give them kind of 15 minutes or so to write or draw or color or whatever it is that they kind of feel like they need to do to like decompress from you've been at school all day and you just like need a minute, just release and, <laughs> you know, kind of be in the quiet and, and gather yourself. And some cool stuff happens there some days. I mean, you really kind of get to see people's artistic side. You see kind of how their brain is working and, and what they've got going on. And everybody kind of brings out a little bit something different. Mm -hmm. So I love that. But I also love the science of addiction. I love when we teach kids about their brains and its development and how sleep and nutrition and, you know, lack of substances and all of these things kind of come together to like create their, you know, little teenage bodies and like how it, you know, transform them. A lot of times they are like fascinated. I, I find that too. Yeah. I find that too. And that's sometimes we think when we teach kids the science and stuff that they'll be really bored with it. But I think sometimes if you tell kids like, Hey, by the way, and this is what I love about prevention now, too, is that we teach them real science-based education. Like, I just wanted to let you know, kiddo, your brain is not fully developed and will not be till you're 26, 27 years old. Um, they're saying even later now. Mm -hmm. So everything you do to it now could be doing some serious damage. Like, I mean, that's sort of the approach we take. Yeah. So now we're in like, you know, the amygdala is responsible for your fear responses and things like these are damage you can do with drugs and alcohol. Like, they actually get... They're fascinated and excited to learn yeah. about why their brains do what it does. Like, wow, that's right. Wow, that's why that works. That's why I do yeah. that. I'll be darned. Like, yeah. they just get really shocked by it. And I think it's cool to watch their little light bulbs click on. I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And my favorite is the, you know, I felt really good the past two weeks. And we say, when did you lose use last? You know, like, about two weeks ago and I'm like what you know I'll here we done. go like oh my god and they're like oh, oh. okay <laughs> so to see no they're really the, the things really are going on in there and it really does impact everything else you know relationships and schoolwork and friendships and you know arguments with mom and like mm -hmm. That nothing is isolated. It all comes together. So you mentioned the relationship with the mom, and I, I brought this up a little bit in my interview with Rebecca, and please click on that uh, podcast, Getting to Know Rebecca, her partner, and 
uh, I asked her about the family component of this program. The intensive outpatient has a once a month, once a month uh, family component where we bring the, we actually bring the family in with the kids and they do a sort of group together. They get education, they do activities, sometimes they'll sit down for a meal and things like that. What has been your take on the on the family component. Do you feel like that's a really important part of that? Have you had a good experience with it? Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, wow. That's almost yeah. exactly what I, Rebecca said. I'm going to uh, have to rewind that. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> family is so interesting because it's a little nerve wracking because we see our clients almost every day. You know, we do group three times a week and then usually we meet them for an individual on a day that we don't do group. So sometimes we're seeing them four days out of the week. Might be more than I see my own family (laughs) most of the time. So we do get to know them pretty well. And then all of a sudden there is a ball out of left field and it's like, bam, a parent. And you're like, ah, like I sort of know that like you exist because I know your child, (laughs) but I have no, I don't always know what to expect expect when you think of a parent. And obviously we hear about parents from the kids, but their perception of their parent can be so much different than maybe what's actually going on. Or, you know, like the dynamic can really change with another adult in the room. All of those different things kind of come together. I find it so fascinating to see when we sit down in a room, how parents react with other parents, how the kids engage with us when their parent is in the room, seeing how the kids and their parents interact with each other. You know, you really just get such a bigger picture of this is what they were talking about. Or I don't know, you know, I don't know why that kid feels that way about their parent because I didn't get that vibe or we're not on the same page about something and i that's very vague well and just to kind of clarify too um for the audience that's listening sometimes when you get kids around their parents and you do a group like that it's like the super super talkative kid that talks all the time and you're constantly having to tell him to focus and be quiet and you'll get him around his his parent and he's super quiet yeah and then the super quiet kid is like is regurgitating all this information and you weren't even sure he was listening and he could he could repeat back everything you've been saying for the last two weeks yeah like you never know how they're going to respond when their parent shows up and then some parents are very interactive and they're very um ready to go and ready to learn and some parents are like i why am i here yeah so you you're you're absolutely right like you never know what to expect right it can be very shocking sometimes (laughs) we never know what to expect and it can be you know pretty surprising because sometimes people really catch us off guard with you know good or bad and all of a sudden you're like oh i have this amazing tool that i need to use more of like this parent is very engaged we just got to help get them and the kid on the same page and you know like we can work with this but for me it's huge because we see our clients usually after a long school day or during a school day you know we do get to know quite a bit about them then they go home at the end of the night how they interact with their parents really tells us a lot about maybe what their home life is like obviously it's not a hundred percent accurate because you think of like their siblings at home and maybe a second parent or a grandparent or you know different dynamics but it really teaches us a lot about how a kid communicates with their parents, if they are willing to have kind of some difficult conversations. I mean, and we we try not to really shy away in a family session. You know, we try to be pretty open with them about like, 
this is what's going on and we're only going to get through this or, you know, um, work to become better if we're all working together. And that can be really challenging. We don't want to parent the parents or like tell them how to do their very important job of raising their child, but we want to help them better understand what it is that their child has going on. For some parents, this is their first interaction with addiction. That can be a very hard pill to swallow. I think it's really important for us to have that interaction. So A, so the parents can just have that basic education, but also so we can ask some of the difficult questions or have some of those hard conversations and they're both there. So there's no, we're going to talk about something really difficult in group and we're going to encourage you to go home and talk to your mom about it. She's never going to hear a single word, you know, you're going to walk through the door. How was group? Good. Right. And then shut your door and go to bed. So it does kind of make it a little harder for them to ignore it because we're all sitting down together. Hopefully that's helpful to the parent. And I think for some of them, it really is. We've really had some parents open up. I can think of one case in particular where a parent was like, I am taking accountability and I'm so sorry. And it was such a powerful moment to watch in the group of like, you could see how the kid was responding and how the parent was really like, saw the impact that they were having. And it was incredible. You know, they they got to leave that day. And then when we came back to group and had our individual, we got to really talk to the kid about like, how was that? You know, what was it like for you to experience that? And that might be a moment that they wouldn't have had if we hadn't, yeah, had them together. So it's different for everybody, but it's always been impactful. Yeah. that I think that family component is a really important one. It's it's difficult sometimes to get families to show up for that kind of thing. And I think LifeWays has been very successful in getting uh, families to understand the importance of participating in the treatment process and the prevention process for that matter, because yeah. we have we have a family component in our prevention education classes as well. And we've always had uh, families that are very good about um, showing up, mm-hmm. showing up for their kids and, and uh, good feedback from our families as well. Um, but yeah. we always approach it from the, um, this is a family disease. Like it affects right. everyone that it touches. And, and thinking that we don't have a role in our family's life and addiction is just, it, it can be a fatal mistake. Most definitely. Yeah. And, and I think for the kids too, it's, you know, sometimes before a family session, we'll kind of discuss or, you know, in an individual, like what would, what would you like us to bring up? You know, maybe there's sensitive topics that have been wanting to discuss with their parent, but it's maybe a little bit more sensitive. They don't quite know how to go about it. And it also kind of gives them an opportunity to open that door to say like, when I talk to my mom about me being stressed, she kind of brushes it off. But if you bring it up, then maybe we can really talk about it. And, and I think that's really important for them too, because I mean, like you just said, showing up, I mean, even just showing up kind of tells us a lot about like, you showed up for your kid today and they noticed. And we try to really highlight that in the group as well. Like you gave up your time to be here with your child and help them with, you know, this difficult time that they're going through. Even if you don't have a lot of input during the group, I mean, that's, kids see that and um, they're in such a formative time that they need, that they need that. They need people to just show up for them, even if it's, not always the most convenient. <laughs> right, right. Very important for adolescents, I think, for them to see people in their lives that are 
that are willing to be there when they say they're going to be there and that sort of thing, that consistency, having somebody show up. It is, it is a big deal to them. Yeah. That's very cool. I think we have, um, before we wrap this up and, and finish it, I just, I want to say thank you for the amazing stuff that you've done with this treatment group. Like, um, I think we were lucky, LifeWays is lucky to get you, at, especially at this point in your career, because I think it's really, you've really taken off with stuff. And I think we found you a great partner and things are going really awesome with the, the IOP and our kids are really loving it. And wow, you guys have really adapted well to COVID crazy and uh, have done telehealth just awesomely. So I don't, I don't know if awesomely is a word, but it is now. Before we before we finish, I just want to ask if, if there's anything you can tell, I guess, Rapid City community as a whole. I mean, you live here. You're a community member of Rapid City, and you have this interesting sort of perspective of being a child of, uh, I always call them Alano Club kids. You're a child of recovery. You're a child of addiction. You're um, in the field. You're fascinated by the brain and how it works. You work with it every day. What would you tell this community? What do you think they need to know about addiction, adolescent? What do you think they need to know? What does Rapid City need to know about addiction? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I've really taken from all of my years of education and meeting with clients face to face is that substances tend to fill a need, whether that's the need to feel accepted by peers, which is extremely important in our population group, um, whether it's the need to escape from reality, which is also sometimes very important for our population group, um, especially as our world is going through really difficult times. Maybe it's to fill a need of just feeling better or feeling nothing, which can be kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around if we are of healthy mind. But I've never, I don't think I've ever met somebody that just said like, eh, I don't know, I just, you know, decided, heck, why not? Um, and so I sought out substances. It does something for you. So I think if we can figure out what that need is before substances occur, it can kind of help us avoid sliding into that rabbit hole of having use turn into abuse and turn into addiction. And I don't think it's as complicated as we'd like to think that it is. Uh, a lot of people kind of think that addiction is like this magical thing that you like just woke up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm addicted. It's progressive. And if we catch it at the beginning or even before it starts, if we have those conversations about maybe why people use substances and what alternatives are there to maybe filling some of those needs, that can be extremely powerful to helping a child make a decision. I've heard a lot of people in the past say like, well, addiction is a choice because you chose to use. I understand the rationale of getting to that point of not quite understanding how it all happens. So I don't, I don't agree with that, but I, I see how people sort of get there. But so I think the importance of having that logic is seeing what choices or what led up to making that choice and how do we maybe avoid that choice in the future or make sure that we have more choices so that we can uh, make healthier choices or how do we discuss with even younger kids so that they know that they have different options. I think that that's really, really important and 
to know that there's never a bad time to intervene. Maybe you just found out that your kid drank for the first time. Okay, then let's let's talk talk about it then. Maybe they've never drank before. Okay, let's talk about it then. It doesn't have to become a major problem in your family in order to address it. And it can be something that it I I just don't think addiction has to be a dirty word. It's a mental health issue and even mental health issue kind of sounds like a dirty word for a lot of people, yeah. um, but it's not. I mean, we we fix broken bones and skin knees all the time. I just think taking it more seriously. If you know, if you have somebody in your life that is talking about maybe having some mental health problems, maybe they're feeling anxious or depressed or lonely. You know, really looking at that and understanding that sometimes addiction comes from those things. Or sometimes it comes from a want to fit in and okay, great. Let's think of ways that we can fit in without using substances. But yeah, it just, it's very stigmatized yeah. and we have to kind of get away from that if we are going to be any help to our kids and wanting them to be healthy. I mean, we go and have regular checkups and, you know, we would never let a broken bone go unfixed. And so we have to take the sprains seriously as well. Um, and that also goes for sprains in our emotional health and our mental health and allowing ourselves to have bad days, but also knowing what to do if, if that happens. So um, I guess what I would say to the people of Rapid City, you know, is just, you know, acknowledge that. Yeah. Acknowledge what it's like for you to have a bad day. You know, how do you deal with having a bad day or a bad week or, um, you know, dealing with a difficult time? And how are you teaching your kids to deal with that? Yeah. So just to just to give people a scale on which to measure this, can you tell me what's the youngest client you've ever done a IIA or a, a drug and alcohol and assessment on? I want to say... My brain is going back and forth between 11 and 12. Okay. So yeah, yeah. somewhere in there, 11 or 12. Because a lot of people I think don't realize um, just how young a kids we work with here. Because oh, yeah. we, in, in our treatment group, we do 14 to 18, um, but we've, we've done assessments on younger and we could potentially do treatment groups. We just haven't, um, since we don't like to mix kids, you know, middle school kids with high school kids, for obvious reasons, we we don't have the means or resources to do the kind of group for that sort of age, but we do have kids that have those issues at that age. So yeah. if we do assessments on kids who are 11 and 12 years old, what age do you think, just in your personal opinion, when can we talk to our kids? Oh man, I mean, uh, I've been talking about addiction, like I said, basically out of the womb. Um, but I, I think especially if you have substances in your home or if your children are going to another home, like maybe in your house, you don't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or use any kind of substance, but um, your kids regularly go to their aunt and uncle's house or their grandparents' house where there is drinking going on. We like to use kind of kitschy language, you know, like mom juice or, you know, things to kind of describe wine or other, you know, beverages or those kinds of things. But but I think it is really important that if if you're going to have substances in your home or around your kids that you have a discussion about what is this? You know, why is it different than the gallon of milk in the fridge? You know, if this is a tool in your home that you are going to use, do you discuss it like you discuss power tools? 
Do you discuss the danger of it? And are you having that conversation about how, yes, it is something that you are using and, but it can also be dangerous. And it's not to say that people shouldn't be allowed to, you know, have alcohol in their homes or those kinds of things, but, but there is sort of that responsibility that comes with it, that you are not the only person in your home. So you should be, you should be having that discussion. That's a big deal for us too, as a prevention and addiction agency. Um, you know, we're not the, the anti-alcohol people, you know, it's like, well, people drink socially, they do that. And, Mm -hmm. and to us, it's about the kids who understand and are aware of, addiction and you know hijacking the reward system and how that can affect a developing brain and things like that so they know the difference between an adult and and an adolescent and social and binge and binge and addiction and that sort of thing right so yeah we're we're not really out there to um to stop drinking we're just um we want people to be aware of the disease right yeah i think that's an important difference right absolutely and um and like i said substances are used you know to to fill a need and sometimes the need is i'm gonna go out with my girlfriends and we're gonna have a fun night and you know i'm gonna have a couple glasses of wine and and i'm not saying that that's not okay i'm just saying that it is important to understand the difference between that and like highly intoxicated at home or, you know, having those conversations of like, what is the difference? I'm always fascinated that people think that binge drinking is so much more than what it is um, classified as, which is like two to three drinks. And they're like, well, I didn't binge drink. You know, I only had five shots. And I'm like, whoa, you more than binge drink. <laughs> um, like by our technical yeah, by standards. Our technical standards yeah. um, and so with that, everybody's always like, well, I'm, yeah, oh, okay. I'm an alcoholic, I guess, and kind of shrugs it off. But it is important to have those conversations. What does this really look like? I mean, we're, we're setting the standards very young. If, you're, if your kids know that there's a difference between what they're drinking and what you're drinking and that they aren't allowed to have what you're drinking, you're already having the conversation. conversation yeah. yeah, you're already kind of setting the tone for, for how they are viewing substances. So, and kids are naturally curious. They want to yeah, know. They are. They, you know, they. So uh, my rule of thumb is, and I don't know if you can uh, agree with this one or not, but if they can ask you about it, if they're curious about it, um, if they try to grab your drink and you tell them, no, no, you can't, this might be the time to to explain. Mm -hmm. So um, that's probably a good rule of thumb for when it's time to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. Also, you know, if, if you're not comfortable with having that conversation, you know, maybe asking yourself why or, um, or using a tool of coming to LifeWays, you know, like that's also what we're here for is that education of like, how do you talk about that? Um, and what do you say? I mean, we don't want to scare everybody, but it's important to know. I mean, yeah, we don't drive heavy machinery around because we know it's dangerous and, you know, we're not fully equipped to do that yet. So we also have to be careful about what we're putting into our bodies and, you know, what kind of other dangerous activities we're participating in. So absolutely. Well, I, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to 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 talk with our podcast audience and, and sharing some of your stuff and um, um 
sharing uh, your career with Life Waste because yeah, um, you absolutely. have put an off- awesome benefit to this place. So if you if you get a chance, come onto our website and you can look up the bio of Emily here and learn a little bit more about her. Uh, we always have awesome videos and, and great articles and things like that to share on our website and you can follow us on our Facebook page. We love to share things with the community, um, up-to-date real education articles and things like that about uh, brain, body, personal health, all kinds of stuff like that you know prevention is not what it used to be we are really about education Mm -hmm. Um, it's not uh, just say no or you know if you do drugs you'll die we give you real evidence-based education and then uh, you know we allow kids to make their own choices so um, yeah please join us on any of our social media stuff we're happy to have you and thank you so much for joining us for this podcast today and helping us get to know our staff at lifeways here just a little bit better and have an awesome day and make good choices thank you <laughs>